Let me ask you to reach for your Bibles this morning, please, if you don't mind. And while you're reaching for them, I'm going to ask you to stand with me today if you're okay with that. <clears throat> and if you're a clock watcher, it's only 1123. Uh, so we've got plenty of time, so don't worry about it. I want you to go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning, please. I started a little two-part series last Sunday, and I just entitled it From the Heart of a Pastor. And I want to read a couple of passages from the Apostle Paul who writes to the church at Corinth, a church that he had established and planted and built. For 18 months, he stayed there, and he shepherded those people. He poured into those people, and he pastored them. I'm not really going to, going to preach from these passages that I have selected, but I want to read them to you because they convey the heart of the Apostle Paul as he pastors those people. So in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, then we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 after that. I'm going to read some of the final words that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. First in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, here's what the Bible says. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. 2 Corinthians now, chapter 13 beginning at verse number 11. These are the greetings of the Apostle Paul and Paul's benediction to this church. Finally, brethren, he says, Farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. Well, we could stand some peace in our world today, couldn't we? And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Concludes by saying this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, bless the word today. God, help the preacher today to say what you want me to say. Help these amazing people today hear what you want them to hear. God, do a work in our hearts and our lives in these next few moments, and I love you and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you today for standing. From the heart of a pastor, just want to share with you today some thoughts and some insights from my heart. We are here again this morning, Sunday morning. We have gathered together once again for a time of what we call worship, praise, celebration, and fellowship. We have concluded another week. This is what we call the Sabbath. It is the first day of the new week. 
And while we have concluded another week, we have witnessed, we have watched, we are faced with yet another tragedy in our world. It would be easy for me to get up here every single Sunday probably until Jesus comes back and talk about current events and talk about the state of our world. I don't want you to get nervous about that and think that every Sunday I'm going to preach about what's happening in our world, but I have just felt compelled the last couple of weeks to talk about the state of affairs in this world and in this nation. And on Thursday night, as the nation of France celebrated their national holiday, some deranged terrorist madman rented a 19-foot ton refrigerated box truck, pulled up to the security checkpoint as people were lining the sidewalks in the streets to celebrate. Fireworks had been going off, and he told the person at the checkpoint that he was there to deliver ice cream for the event. Once they allowed him through the checkpoint, that security station He pushed that gas pedal to the floor. In a matter of moments, there were bodies, and eyewitnesses said body parts, lying all over the street. By the time he had finished with his insanity, 84 people had been murdered. Ten of them were children. Hundreds left injured. We turned the news on, we looked at the images there, and it just sickened us as we watched innocent lives be taken. I said last Sunday that it just seems lately that from one Sunday to the next, There seems to be another terrorist attack, another tragedy, more bad news. When I left here Sunday morning, and by the time I got home and walked in my front door, had not even changed my clothes yet, I got a text message from someone letting me know that one of my colleagues, one of my friends, resigned his church last Sunday stepping away from the ministry because of a moral failure. I had no sooner read that text than I got another text message from someone asking me if I had read this news report that one of our leading pastors in this nation, a man by the name of Perry Noble, Pastors New Spring Church in South Carolina, campuses everywhere. They run probably 20 or 30,000 people. It had been announced that day that the executive pastors of New Spring Church had removed him as pastor because he was addicted to alcohol. As I went through the week and I'm sitting here on Friday night, we're having dinner with this fine group of people. I look on Facebook and I read that a young man who was at senior high youth camp just a few weeks ago, member of the track team at his high school, captain of the football team, on Thursday night he had drowned in a tragic accident in a lake. 
And then last night, I sat at my table I just pulled up Fox News just to kind of see what was going on. And I, I read that, that the United Methodist Church, 12.7 million members strong, has elected their first openly gay bishop in response to the denomination's ban against same-sex relationships. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again today. This world is spinning out of control. And as we watched the events transpire on our television on Thursday night and into Friday morning, innocent lives taken, and we continue to read newspapers and hear news reports and violent act after violent act and tragedy after tragedy you know those, those kind of things used to be just random acts of violence something here or something there but that's not the case anymore it's a nightclub in Orlando it's a protest in Dallas it's a marathon in Boston. It's an airport. It's a theater. It's a school. It's almost as if every single day we turn the television on and we, we watch violence unfold before us and tragedies unfold before us. And just following the tragedy in France, we, 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 we just hours later it's scrolling across the news feed that, that the military has tried to overtake the government in Turkey. And 161 people are left dead. We shake our heads and we wonder, will this ever end? Will this ever stop? We watch the events and we watch the tragedies and we read the paper and we see the news. And, and it just leaves grief piled on top of grief. I'm convinced today that the evil that we find in humanity is without a doubt rooted in the darkness of something we call sin. The Bible teaches us in John 8, that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. We are dealing with the spirit of this age. That's what we're watching unfold before our very eyes. And when things continue to happen like we have seen happen. It is the, it is the question that, that dominates our mind. Why do these things continue to happen? I don't care how spiritual that you are. There's not a deep enough theological, philosophical, or, or spiritual answer that we can give to people who come and ask us, why are these things happening? I mean, there are no words to express when you, when you look on the streets of France and a little girl's pink bike is just lying there on the ground. Baby dolls all over the streets lying beside the mangled, bloodied bodies of innocent children taken way too soon by some lunatic who pledges allegiance to a group called ISIS. 
It's a crazy world that we're living in. And I want to just convey again this morning from, from the heart of a pastor some things that are just burning in my heart today. Number one, I believe that this world, we are living in a state of perplexity, Gene Turpin. There are so many questions that people are thinking and so many questions that people are asking and the questions come one after the other but I don't believe we will ever fully get the answers that we're looking for as to why this world is spinning so drastically out of control. Here's the question that dominates my mind. How is it that humanity created in the image of God, Brother Philip, how is it that we can be so bent toward evil and hatred and murder and rampage? How is that possible? How is that possible? Humanity can be so bent toward evil, Pastor Tony. We can just kill with no thought of life and we can hate with no thought of, of who it affects or who it hurts. But I don't believe that our, our finite minds can begin to comprehend the depth of everything that we're watching unfold before us. Sometime back, there was a man by the name of Daryl Scott who was being interviewed on the news. Daryl Scott had a daughter whose name was Rachel. Back in 1999 and. Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, those two young men, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, who, who went through that school, that was really the first really major school shooting that was, that was publicized by the news and, and killed so many innocent people. His daughter, Rachel Scott, was one of those high schoolers that was killed that day. He was on the news one night. They were talking to him about the state of affairs in our nation. It was right on the heels of, of the shooting that happened in Newtown, Connecticut, that school there. Here's what he said. He said that our nation must become a kinder nation, listening to one another and caring for one another. I'd like to echo those sentiments today that not only is our nation desperately in need of becoming a kinder nation, but our world needs to become a kinder world, caring for one another, listening to one another, loving one another. But we're not seeing that today. And that leaves people, all of us included, in a state of perplexity, wondering what in the world is going on. But from my heart to your heart today, there's an answer to the perplexity. And that is this, there is a promise of hope. Regardless of the severity of any tragedy, any crime, anything that goes on in our world, there is the promise of hope that is found in the Word of God. The psalmist David would pen in Psalm 23 and 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The psalmist would write in Psalm 34 and 18 that the Lord is near 
near to those who are broken hearted and he saves such as have a contrite spirit he would write in Psalm 46 and 1 God is our refuge and God is our strength he is a very present help in time of trouble he'd get down to verse 2 and he would say therefore we will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains shake thereof and be cast into the midst of the sea God is our refuge and God is our strength he would write in Psalm 147 and 3 that he heals the broken heart and he binds up their wounds he'd write in Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities he was in all points tempted as we were yet without sin let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need in the face of terrorism in the face of violence in the face of racism in the face of crime in the face of hate on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand I'm standing on the promises of the word of God and that is our hope today if you're glad about that somebody praise the Lord hallelujah In the midst of a perplexing world, we have the promise of hope. And that hope is found in the Word of God. And listen, when life is painful, and when life is full of problems, and when life leaves us perplexed and scratching our head and asking questions, what do we do, Pastor? We hold on to the promise of God's Word. We hold on to the hope that is found in the Word of God. It will give us the power that we need to cope with whatever life hands us. It is the power of hope, the promise of hope that is found in His Word. In the midst of a perplexing world, there's the promise of hope. But secondly today, there is the power of God's touch. Somebody wrote this one time and said that we are not exempt as Christians from life's tragedies. At the same time, though, God does not design such tragic moments. He does redesign them turning them into moments for miracles, opportunities for character, building in us and door, opportunities for character building in us and doorways to new dimensions of faith and spiritual development. In the midst of a perplexing world, there is the power of God's touch. I am a firm believer this morning in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. That means that God will take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and He'll put it all together and He'll cause it to work for His glory and He'll cause it to work for your good. There is the power of God's touch today. And when God touches what has been tainted by death and by hate, he turns it into something that brings him praise and softens the pain in our lives. Pastor, how in the world, how in the world can we look 
at everything that is transpiring and happening around us? How can we look at that? And how can we see God in the midst of that? How can anybody find God in the midst of such tragedy and such chaos and such crisis? I'm telling you today that God takes things that we've been witnessing in this world and He takes those things and He causes them to work together for His good. God specializes in taking broken, bruised, battered, messed up lives when He puts His hands on them and on messed up situations. He touches them and He turns things around and it works for His glory and it works for our good. And in the midst of a world that is messed up and a world that is perplexed, right now I'm telling you there's the power of God's touch. His hand is upon our lives. In the midst of a perplexing world, there is the promise of hope. There is the power of his touch. There is the prayer of his people. Never, ever, never, ever underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer reaches across the miles. Prayer reaches across the political aisle. Prayer reaches across denominational and racial barriers. And prayer will unite the hearts of men and of women who have been touched by grief and touched by despair and touched by hurt and touched by hate. I'm telling you, quite possibly four of the most powerful words in the English language are these. I'm praying for you. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm praying for you. Tell somebody, I'm praying for you. And I want you to be careful this morning because there are so many times that people will text us or call us or ask us to pray, and we tell them, yes, we will. You can count on me. And as the day gets going and it goes on by us, we simply forget. Pastor, when can I do that? As soon as somebody says something to you, stop where you are. Take a moment, draw a breath in, and say, God, and just offer a prayer for them. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. There is power today in our prayer. The Bible tells us in the book of James 5 and 16, we should pray one for another, Brother Gene Turpin. In Galatians 6 and 2, it tells us to bear one another's burdens. I can't make it in this world by myself, James Hanks. i got to have somebody helping me i got to have somebody praying for me. Listen, you cannot make it in this world we're living in today. You need somebody praying with you. You need somebody praying for you. There is power in your prayer today. In the midst of a perplexing world, we have the promise of hope that's found in His Word. We have the power of His touch that is found when He reaches His hand down and touches situations and circumstances. We have the prayer of people that come alongside of us and help us pray. And then finally this morning, in the midst of a perplexing world, we have the practice of forgiveness. Pastor, certainly. Certainly we're not going to talk about forgiving people today, are we? 
Pastor, when we, when we view this and then look at the scope of everything that's going on around us, is it feasible? Is it realistic? Is it possible for us to practice forgiveness? How do you tell a mother or a father whose child has been taken by some murderer that they have to practice forgiveness? How do you look into the eyes of a young man or a young woman that's been physically or sexually abused by their parents and tell them they have to practice forgiveness? How do we do it? How do we do it? Here's what one man once said about forgiveness. When we forgive evil, we do not excuse it. We do not tolerate it. We do not smother it. But we look the evil full in the face. We call it what it is. Let its horror shock and stun and enrage us. And only then do we forgive it. Forgiveness. I'm telling you, in the midst of this perplexing world, we have to practice forgiveness. Does that mean that we excuse tragedies and evil and mistreatment that may come to us? No, we don't excuse it. Does that mean that when we forgive that we will forget? That is not possible to do that. Anybody that's ever told you that you have to forgive and forget, that's impossible. You can't forget when people hurt you. It's not forgetting. It's the attitude that you take on when you remember the pain that has come to your life. Practice forgiveness. My God, we're living in a world right now. We need to practice forgiveness with all people. Jesus is the greatest example ever of forgiveness. Pastor Tony, just come help me. I just want you to come. I don't want any musicians or singers. Just you come play softly for me right now, please. When you, look at, when you look at Calvary and you survey that scene that un, has unfolded on that day on that hill, and Jesus hanging on that cross, body racked with pain, starting at his head with a crown of thorns buried and dug deeply into that brow, blood flowing down his face. Places on that bearded face of his that has literally been plucked out and pulled out by the hands of angry Roman soldiers. Because the Bible doesn't go into great detail but when they talk about where they would smite him across his face and struck him across his face some theologians and historians say it probably was not an open palm but a closed fist where they would punch him across his face if you move down his body you've got shoulders and a back that have been laid open literally laid open by the beating he took in Pilate's courtyard that day. 
don't think for a moment it's just a little a little whip and just left a few stripes on him. No. Literally flesh hanging down. You could see into his internal organ. That's how badly he was beaten. It was a miracle he even survived the beating. But he had to survive the beating because he had to go to Calvary. You look at the hands of our Savior with spikes, six to nine inch Roman spikes driven right through here. Not through the palm because the body can't hold, your hands aren't strong enough to hold the weight of your body, but right through here. They knew right where to nail him where it could hold the body of, through each wrist. You move down his body and you've got one foot placed on top of the other foot. His legs bend in a, in a, in a certain way and a spike taken and driven to the top of his foot, down through that second foot, fastening him to that cross. hanging there only way to get his breath and to breathe was to push himself up because the the weight of his body would cause his chest to sag it would put enormous pressure on his lungs the only way that a criminal being crucified like that could breathe he'd have to to push himself up to get his breath and as he pushed himself up his open bare back would just rub against that cross these little these little metal bolts sticking out would dig into that flesh already laid open by a whip get his breath he'd exhale and he'd slump back down only just in a few matter of a few seconds to have to do it again and push himself up to get his breath and up and down up and down Most of those victims on a cross, I've talked about this before, they, they died not from blood loss but from suffocation. They would literally smother to death because the soldiers would come by and if they saw that they were still hanging on to life, they would take this almost like a pool stick, hold the long end in their hand, that, that larger, thicker part they would take and like a baseball bat, they would swing it until they broke their shins. And they'd be unable to push themselves up to get their breath, and they would literally suffocate. In just a matter of moments, when his breath is going to leave him because they didn't break his legs, because it, there was prophecy that was given that not one of his bones would be broken. Jesus simply yielded up his spirit, and he died that day. Just a matter of moments, he's going to give up his. Spirit, he's going to draw his last breath. They're going to come by and they're going to take a sword. They're going to push it through his side right between that third and that fourth rib. When they push that spear into his side, it would maneuver it in such a way that it would go up and it would literally puncture his heart. Thus, that's why you had blood and water that came out that day. Because when blood and water come out mixed, it's a sign of a heart that has been busted or broken or exploded. In a real sense, Jesus died of a broken heart that day. But just prior to him yielding up his spirit and drawing that last breath, hanging on that cross, that olive-complected Galilean chunks of beard poured from his face utters quite possibly one of the most powerful sayings ever known to mankind when he says, I believe looking at every one of those Roman soldiers, here's what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He interceded and prayed for them. The very men 
that had mutilated and torn his body to pieces. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A short while later, he would say into your hands, I commit my spirit. He would cradle his chin on his chest, draw his last breath. He was finished. How do you forgive? How do you forgive people that have done that? How do you forgive people that have hurt you? How does Jesus Christ, who was in all points tempted as as we were, he was divine and human at the same time, something in him would be able to say, Father, forgive them. One of the hardest things you'll ever do, one of the most powerful things you'll ever do, would be to look at a man or look at a woman or look at someone who's hurt you, wounded you, betrayed you, offended you, and say, I forgive you. The heart of this pastor today, this perplexed world that we're living in, we have to practice forgiveness. You think for a moment that things are going to settle down, you're sadly mistaken. If you think for a moment things are just going to get better and it's all going to magically go away, you you, you think again. If you think for a moment that come November some candidate is going to rescue our faltering country, man can't fix our mess. I don't care what laws you institute. I don't care what laws you sign in. Man can't fix us. But only the mercy and the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ can fix this perplexed, messed up world we're living in. And the time is here and the time is now that the church must practice forgiveness in this perplexing world. And I leave you with this verse of Scripture this morning when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, here's what he said. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, Then he said this in verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving. Everybody say forgiving. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. It's amazing that some of us have been forgiven, all of us have been forgiven for so much. Yet there's times we offer such little forgiveness back. To other people. And today, from this pastor, from my heart to your heart today, 
this world is in a great state of perplexity. And in the face of that, listen, we have the promise of hope that's found in his word. We have the power of his touch that comes from his hand. We have the prayer of people like you and me that we can pray one for another and pray for this world. And we have the practice of forgiveness that will bring peace to the hearts and lives of men and women. Just bow your heads for a moment this morning.